Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I am Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on all the podcast platforms, on, well, Twitter, we're still on Twitter for now, Facebook, everywhere, uh, at PW Comics World. Today, I am really thrilled to be joined by fellow podcasters. Um, but also fellow creators, uh, who have done just about everything, all different media, all sorts of things, worked on all kinds of characters, but, uh, they are the hosts of the Women of Marble podcast. Uh, so welcome to Ellie Pyle and Preeti Chibber. Hi. Hey, Hello. Heidi. Hey, how's it going? It's going Girl. well. It's a you good guys- day. <laughs> yeah, you guys, so as we're recording this on the day that the first episode of of the new season began, and Preeti, you're just joined, right? This is your first episode as co-host? or Yes, very or, first episode as co-host. I'm very excited to be a part of this team, though. They are amazing. Yeah, well, I was listening to it, and I was uh, saying, you know, here at More to Come, obviously, we have been doing this for 10 years, and it's still just me, Kate, and Kelvin sitting in a room yapping, <laughs> and Meg joins us once in a while, but you guys have editing, you have music, you have guests, oh my god, you have topics, you have X-Men, you have mutants, you have the whole thing. So so th- there's a, just a new format for this season, right? It, so can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So yeah, this season we are focusing on a single character each episode, but we are looking at each of those characters from as many angles as we Mm -hmm. possibly can. As you mentioned, we have a bunch of guests who include everybody from, you know, writers, artists, creators that have worked on the character, actors, writers of other media, um, and then also people like scientists or cosplayers or fans wow. who just want to share with us what they love about these characters and what makes them so interesting. Wow. Well, there is, I mean, these characters have a very deep lore and a little deep history and you know, connection with people. And the first episode is Jean Grey. So certainly like, no problem filling an hour <laughs> up with Jean Grey, right? Yeah. You don't get much more history than that. Nope. Yeah. And, uh, I believe when, when this airs, your, your second episode, which will be out, which is Shuri, who's a newer character, but still lots of lore. So, um, so a lot to cover. But Ellie, let's start, uh, just a little bit of the history of the women in, of Marvel podcast. Cause you have been doing, have you been doing it from the start or what is the history? Fill us in. So I actually was around for the very, very early start of the Women of Marvel podcast. And my first Women of Marvel episode, I think, uh, was actually an exit interview type episode <laughs> when I left Marvel, uh, for a bit a while back. Um, but I came back as a full-time co-host in 2020 when Sana Amanath moved off the show and, uh, have been working on it ever since. Oh, awesome. But Ellie, you also, uh, are quite accomplished in the comics world. <laughs> Thank you, are, you. Yeah. She are, you are currently the executive director for digital content, I believe, if I have that right. But in the that past, you, you have edited some of our favorite comics like Amazing Spider-Man, Superior Spider-Man, Daredevil, Fearless Defenders. And you, uh, it says in your, I'm reading your bio, but it's so impressive. You're also a playwright, a novelist, a director, and you co-founded Bespoke Plays. So what brings you to comics? 
uh well i fell into comics by accident actually um and i got very lucky that there are a lot of you know former theater people in comics so they were able to look at my resume and say oh okay these skills are transferable Um, but, uh, I was a comics fan growing up, uh, specifically an X-Men fan growing up, which is funny that that's the only set of characters that I've never truly gotten to work <laughs> on, uh, to any great extent. Um, but that we did sneak some of them into the fiction podcasts that I worked on the past couple of years. But, uh, I, I love Marvel. I love Marvel's style of story. Storytelling. So I started out as a comic book editor. I then, you know, wandered off to a couple other places, edited some other kinds of comics, worked on some other kinds of media, but eventually made my way back home. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I mean, there is something. I mean, I'm on Marvel. I grew up on Marvel. Um, so, you know, once it gets in your blood, it's in your blood. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned actually that, you know, you watch the uh, X-Men animated TV show. And that is, no, I'm, I'm older. So that wasn't my, you know, I, I go back. My first comic book was just to age myself for X-Men 102, unforgettable, uh, unforgettable X-Men, my first Marvel comic. And, uh, I was hooked from panel one. And, uh, but the animated TV show was the entry point for a lot of people. And how, you know, what was your experience with that or or watching it and how, you know, how did it affect you when you first saw it? It it really was a huge entry point for folks. And for me, it was, okay, this was, this was the Saturday morning cartoon that I could watch before acting class when I was a kid. And, you know, that, and then, you know, when they started to conflict, I had to tape it. I had to watch it that way. And I think that the X-Men, you know, have always been so engaging particularly particularly for women because you know there is there are all of those incredible female characters but also you know many of us like a little bit of soap opera we like a little bit of shipping preethi and i will talk about this (laughs) at length later this season um (laughs) but i think that it just you know it, it they're so relatable in many different ways at many different ages because of the many metaphors that we can bring to the X-Men. But I think to, you know, to, to younger readers or viewers, you know, who, whose whole world is their friends. I think that's, that's really a huge entry point into the X-Men. And then from there into everything else that the Marvel universe has to offer. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Preeti, what about you? What is your, uh, you are an author. You've, uh, written, uh, Spider-Man Social Dilemma, a, a trilogy, a middle grade trilogy for Marvel Press. And you also have another podcast, Desi Geek Girls and Tar Valon or Bust. I gotta be honest. I don't even know what that is. So. Wheel uh, of Time. Oh, there you go. That I, 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 only dabbled. <laughs> <laughs> my Only... my geek life is large and varied. It sounds like it. So yeah, what was what was your entree point to Marvel characters? Um, definitely my older brother. Uh, I it he's four years older than me, and I can just remember taking his comics and getting in trouble for it. And he was watching the X Men cartoons and the Spider Man cartoons, and so I was watching the X Men cartoons and the Spider Man cartoons, and I. 
just really, really enjoyed it. Even when I was like too young to really understand what was going on. Um, now revisiting it as I'm older, I'm like, the storytelling is so good. And oh my God, these characters. But as a kid, I just loved the excitement of it. Uh, and of course it's Marvel. So you're getting yeah. pulled into these stories of characters who have the same problems that you have in addition to being superheroes and that like identifiable thread is the one you latch onto. Um, of course, Spider-Man was such a big one for me because I'm like, Peter Parker's a disaster. I'm also a disaster. I, this is my guy. Right. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing how, how we connect so deeply to these characters. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we just, we just know from the, the moment, like I said, you know, the moment I read that my first X-Men comic, I was completely drawn in. And, you know, I have to say, so I don't know how much of, you know, my history in comics, uh, that you're familiar with, but, you know, way back in the day, I, I helped found an organization for women in comics called Friends of Lulu, and this was in the 90s, and it was an argument constantly, you know, that women could read comics and like comics and enjoy comics and participate in fandom. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me now that, you know, thank God, I mean, it's it's validating, like, oh, of course. But I just, I just, how can people not understand that the X-Men had such wide Appeal? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the most obvious thing on earth. It it really (laughs) is. And, and I think that's part of the reason why we saw the X-Men have so much success, not only in the comics, but then Mm -hmm. also in those early branches out into other media. The X-Men were really what took off. Bit of Spider-Man as well, but you know, that just kind of, I think that you're exactly right. It's that that universal appeal. Though I think what we just learned is that Preeti relates to disaster and I relate to drama. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they're both they they go hand in hand. They I do. Think. They they, they that like the X Men are full of disasters. Let's be real. I also think it's so funny because there's if I think of the word fandom, I think of girls. Mm-hmm. Like when I was 16, no, younger, when I was 14, I taught myself HTML so mm-hmm. I could make nerdy fan sites for the things that I liked. Like there's nothing like fully immersing mm-hmm. yourself. And what is a comic book for when you're like, oh my God, there's decades of story. I am never going to get tired of this. Like I can dive in headfirst and be the ultimate fan. Like I, it's wild. Oh yeah, there's just so many levels to it. I mean, this was actually one of my arguments and, um, you know, which is like, you, you, you think guys are fans? <laughs> Meet a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, all, all, all the fan fiction and all of the, you know, wanting to know what happens next? What mm-hmm. happened before? I remember when the X-Men movies came out, one of my friends loaned me his entire comic collection under the condition that I would put them in order. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, but I have to know everything that happened since yep. I last bought a comic book. <laughs> like, I think that uh there is there is so much of that uh in the female instinct for fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, you, you know, uh, Ellie, I mean, you also, uh, worked on, you, like, Marvel also does narrative podcasts, right? We do. And, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, you, you're, you're a theater kid, sounds like, uh, with a lot of theater in your background, but, um, you know, how, how did the, how is it adapting the characters to, to, you know, just the audio medium? How do they adapt? Is there any tricks to it or? <laughs> 
Um, there are definitely, as, as you will find when you transfer a character between any medium, um, there are always tricks and stumbling blocks in terms of for writers coming into comics. It's like, oh, I have to make everything visual and I don't have sound to work with. Then going the other direction into podcasts, it's like, oh, all I have is sound. Mm. So if I'm doing a giant battle, how are we going to be able to tell what's (laughs) happening if it's just constant cacophony? Um, So thinking about the different characters that we used, thinking about the ways that we could manifest their powers in interesting ways in sound, and then also thinking about about the intimacy of podcasting and sound as a medium that you're now you're right in people's ears and how do we use that in interesting ways to tell different kinds of stories than we would necessarily tell in the comics right it's 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 really again i think it's just the emotional beats you know i mean every medium has its own little quirks and Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, styles that you have to overcome, but it really is the, uh, the drama. Well, you know, I, I, I know you don't want to spoil any upcoming episodes, but, uh, uh, you know, my biggest regret in fandom is that I just stopped reading the X-Men just before Rogue and Gambit became a <laughs> You're talking to the right girls. <laughs> you are. You are. So... Uh, so can you explain, just in case any of our listeners are not hep to, in a nutshell, uh, just what is the deal with Rogue and Gambit? Preeti, why don't you go first? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, Preeti just wrote an Infinity comic about Rogue and Gambit, so, uh, which I is did. available on Marvel Unlimited right now. <laughs> it's true, all by the time this episode comes out, yes. all six, all six issues will be out. Um, where there, I'm, I'm, I'm like flummoxed because yeah. there's so much that I'm like, what, what is the point that I want to start at? Like, because the thing that of course I think so many of us love is the, the, the desperation and the tragedy of it, but the persistence despite it, mm. you know, rogues powers, uh, mean that it is difficult for her to get close to people, both, Primarily physically initially, but of course that has mental impact. And Gambit is the one who can like, who it's worth it, right? It's worth it to fight past those, those roadblocks. And they have such care for each other and they have such wonderful flirtations. And so it's the tension of the like, are they going to kiss? Do I want them to kiss? I do want them to kiss, but. And yet. Decades of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm the like, Decades. Yes. Decades. Kiss yes. a million times. <laughs> kiss. Kiss. So, kiss camp. Kiss camp. Um, but, to oh, me, it's the perfect ship because, and it's the ship that I use as an example of what makes a ship work or not. Mm-hmm. That a ship is only as compelling as the reason these two characters can't be together. And I think that in in an era in which Rogue does not have full control over her powers, which is the era of Rogue and Gambit that I first started with, that, you know, it's just, it is so compelling that you can make these two people as perfect for each other as possible because there's always going to be that reason why not. You don't have to contrive reasons why not. Right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, just to 
a little bit of the history of it because I know Rogue was a character that um came in during the the Chris Claremont run. He was she was a Chris Claremont character if I'm not mistaken, right? And did he also create did he also create Gambit? Cuz I know Gam cuz I feel like the flourishing of the comics version of this started probably like in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean it goes way back, right? Mm-hmm. It it does. Um, and it was definitely in full swing by the time, you know, we got to kind of the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the Jim Lee era. Let's uh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I think they actually arrived at the X-Men around the same time. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I regret that this was a time in my life that uh I I stopped reading comics because I, I have seen, like you said, it's just such a delicious, wonderful, multifaceted, great characters. And when I hear people talk about this, this fandom and this shipping, I'm just, oh, I'm so jealous that I couldn't be there for it <laughs> as it unfolded, you know? Um, but it hasn't, have they, have they done it? They haven't done it in the movies, right? We have not seen Mm-mm. Gambit on film yet. Right. We, well, we have seen him once. Taylor Kitsch. I maintain that he was a good gambit. He was, <laughs> he was a good gambit. Just, there was other rough stuff happening. I, I, he was good. <laughs> I like, I, you know, the Taylor Kitsch era of movies, um, you know, which ended with a horrific accident, a uh, bloody mess of John Carter of Mars. Uh, but there was this Taylor Kitsch era. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and, Texas forever. I'm there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I do think he was a fine gambit in 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 the movie. But um, yeah, this is a fertile era area that that the uh, mm-hmm. the MCU has yet to touch on. So maybe one of these days. Uh, but it's hard to. But again, I think what you're talking about is just you know the years. Like, this is just a long-term thing. It's a real, it's like Scully and Mulder. That's the one that I mm-hmm. can compare it to, right? It's just all these years of tension and flirting and aliens. <laughs> so fittingly, that episode runs a little extra long. Yep. <laughs> just a right. tiny bit because just, we had lots to say. Yes. Well, no spoilers there that I, I think you could figure out that if uh, Women of Marvel is going to do. Uh, a rogue episode. So I don't, I don't think we're spoiling too much there. Um, I don't know, uh, let's talk a little though, just about, I know women of Marvel, uh, again, just as a, a podcast and, you know, you have some awesome guests coming up on here and Marvel really, I, I mean, one of your guests is Anne Nascenti, uh, who I was lucky enough to hang out with uh, a few months ago and she was just talking about all the awesome women at Marvel who were there during her day, you know, uh, I, and the history of, you know, Louise Simonson mm-hmm. and, and just all these really, you know, Marie Severin and just, you know, the heritage of it. And that, so the, the women of Marvel podcast does have other, like, like this is a new format, but what was the, the other episodes? What was the previous format of it? So previously we would have different themes for seasons different themes for episodes but the podcast very much started out with having you know kind of different themes for each episode and judy stevens launched the podcast she was co-hosting with sana amanath 
And uh, they would just kind of, they put out an episode every other week for years and years and years and years and years, just talking to, you know, whoever it made sense to talk to that week. Yeah. And then when I came around the time that I came on board, we started working with this idea of seasons and theming seasons to um, like the idea of mentorship is one Mm -hmm. that we did recently. We looked at sets of Marvel characters who had kind of Mm. mentored each other, which was really fascinating. So examples like Storm and Kitty, Ah. you know, uh, Janet Van Dyne and uh, Nadia as the Mm -hmm. Wasps, you know, examples like that. And, um, you know, just kind of, you know, finding, finding different ways to kind of approach all of these characters. Yeah. But what I love about the format now this season is that it does open up the possibilities that where before we would have like maybe one, two guests per episode. Now you're getting to hear from so many different people from so many different parts of the industry of fandom. Um, and I mentioned scientists earlier, but I actually think that's a really fun part of this Mm -hmm. that we have a science segment every episode um, as well as reading lists which are something new that we're doing you know that for people who aren't as familiar with a character uh, Robin Belt comes on every episode and gives you a list of comics you could be reading that's fantastic because a lot of times you know sometimes it can be daunting to look yeah. at the shelf. Uh, here's a list of, uh, guests that you have, um, Iman Villani, Anne Nascenti, Rainbow Rowell, Mary, I'm not gonna try to read that one, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Rebecca Roanhorse, Alana Smith, Jody Nisajima, Nettie Okorafor, Ashley Poston, Sheena McGuire, Valerie Steele, uh, Olympian Casey Coffold, and professors Sabrina Collins, Katja Friedrich, and many more. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that's incredible! Many, 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 more. many more. Yeah, and so on the on the Jean Grey episode, which uh, I was listening to, you actually talk about uh, what would it be like to be tele have telekinesis, mm-hmm. and you actually talk about like we're actually working on on that. <laughs> it's almost possible in a little way. Yeah, yeah. Some, someday we'll catch up to all the all, yeah. all the science, maybe, but, yeah. but hopefully without as much drama. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, no. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say without all the things science fiction tried to warn us about. Exactly. <laughs> oh well. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Preeti, you have written uh, a a Peter. You've written Peter Parker uh, trilogy mm-hmm. for uh, for middle grade. Uh, yes. and these are novels, though. These are not comics, correct? They are novels, and there yes. are two out. Yeah. So, tell us about that. Sure. The first book, as you said, is called Spider Man's Social Dilemma, and it came out last year. The second book is called Spider Man's Bad Connection, and it came out this week. Um, and they're basically modern era Peter Parker. Just a few months into being Spider-Man. He's not great at it, which is the era I really wanted to write because I love the idea of Spider-Man trying really hard, but really sticking his foot in it sometimes. <laughs> um, when I initially pitched it, though, I was like, I want to write a Peter MJ rom-com. That's oh, what I want to yes. do. <laughs> so Mary Jane is a very, very big part of these books. Um in the first book, you know, he's, it's, he's like crushing on MJ and she's like kind of crushing on him. And then the Sandman shows up and it's this whole big thing. And there is this like underlying threat that is lurking and that threat may or may not rear its head in the second book. Um, 
while these like mysterious spots are showing up all over New York City. Like, what could that be? And who could be responsible for that? So it's the series that I wanted to write really for like 10 to 14 year old kids because my, like I said earlier, Spider-Man being a disaster was one of my favorite things because I think I was like, well, I can be a disaster because it means I can still do good stuff and I can still be strong even if things in my life aren't going well. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on in this series. Well, that is one of the great, you know, the great lovable things about Peter Parker. Yeah. It's no matter how much he screws up, he's trying to do the right thing because with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Pretty, what, uh, it sounds like you just have this incredible background of fandom and writing and everything. I mean, did you always want to be a writer or how did you, how did you decide what to do or focus on? <laughs> no, initially I was going to be a doctor. Oh. <laughs> Second child of an Indian American family. My mom was like, I'm going to have a lawyer. I'm going to have a doctor. I'm going to have an accountant in this family. And she got an actor, a writer, and a photographer, graphic designer. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, but it, you know, I, I happened to intern for a publishing house when I was in college and I was like, this is amazing. I love to read. I'm good at words. I'm terrible at math and science. Like, why am I even pretending? And after a few years in publishing, I sort of like got the writer bug. And it snowballed from there. I've always been really, really vocal and loud about what I love. I think in like 2014, I was like on the internet being like, Marvel, let me write a Peter Parker novel. <laughs> oh, wow. So you, you uh, had a whole campaign. A oh, I, campaign. for sure. Anytime I met anybody who was even remotely related, I was like, listen. I have some ideas and it came to fruition. A friend of mine that I had met like one time on a podcast was like, you're going to get an email from an editor at Disney (laughs) who has like a Marvel thing. And that's sort of where it started with, uh, I wrote a tie into Spider-Man Far From Home called Peter and Ned's Ultimate Travel Journal a couple years ago. And from there, it sort of snowballed into original projects, which has been really cool. And that's sort of amazing. Unbelievable. You, well, I mean, I was going to ask you a lot of times, you know, oh, did you feel daunted writing Spider-Man? But I guess you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's daunting in the sense where I was like, my Peter Parker might not match up with everybody's Peter Parker because, you know, the character's been around for 60 years. Everybody has their idea about who he is and the parts they like from him, but then I had to make peace with that very quickly. Right. I'm like, the book is coming out. Right. right. <laughs> it is going to get released. So, awesome. And I think that's something that's so true about what makes Marvel so iconic. Yes. I mean, you were asking about the podcast earlier, and the truth is that these characters have such strong cores to them yes. that we can drop them into any medium and know what makes a Spider-Man story, yep. what makes a Marvel story. And, you know, to kind of find, you know, those cores and that humanity. And I think that's why even if, you know, Preeti, your Peter Parker is not exactly Exactly, you know, my Peter Parker, then, you know, we can, and I'm not saying that's the case, but uh, then, you know, we can still, but we can still recognize him in all of them. Yeah, find commonalities. That's right. Well, there is, I mean, look, the MCU has been the biggest thing on earth for, you know, 15 years, and it's no... Uh, it is, it is a testament to Stan and Jack and Steve and Roy and, and Chris and, and on, you know, Jim and, and Mark and all of them. I mean, on, and on, on and on, um, 
you know, Matt Fraction and David Aha. I mean, all of this, this, this work, this, this wonderful evolving, evolving story. Ellie, uh, you know, I was a comic book editor for a while. I worked at DC and, um, uh, it's never, it's not necessarily, you know, a profession that you wake up and, you know, when you're 12 and say, oh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so I, 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 I don't think, was it yours or you, you, backed into it how did you you know what what was what happened on the day you woke up and said i'm gonna be a comic book editor <laughs> uh well actually i got an email saying hi we're marvel comics will you please read the script and make notes on it and we'll decide whether we're going to interview you um, <laughs> yes. and you you don't say no to that yeah. and yeah. uh like like preethi i had a friend who oh. you know had thrown my resume in a stack and so this came as a total surprise to me but it's funny that actually when I was 11 years old, I, all I wanted in the world was to work for Marvel Comics. And somebody said, well, you can't draw. What are you going to do there? And I said, oh, that makes sense. And went back to acting class. <laughs> You're like, it doesn't uh, make sense. <laughs> so I think that, you know, uh, even though I had some awareness of what the job of editor was, you're exactly right, that it's not something that people think about, you know, what is the path to that? And I think that's something that's changing. I think that as, you know, uh, we've seen more and more people at conventions, as people are listening to podcasts like yours, like ours, they're getting more of a sense of what an editor does and how one kind of gets there. But I did stumble into it and uh, then found that, you know, I, I loved it. It's, it's that perfect mixture of, you know, kind of the producer part of my brain and oddly enough, the director part of my brain mm, or the yes. writer part yes. that I'm never asking myself how I would tell the story. I'm asking myself, what is this person trying to do and how can I help them make that as clear as possible? Yeah, well, I, I think... Uh, you know, I've talked to some people who want to become editors and they really do think it's, it's, you know, 99% sitting down and giving notes on a story. And that is not true, right? No, <laughs> it is not. It is not <laughs> true. In fact, that is probably, <laughs> uh, I always said it's probably 50% being a psychologist. Uh-huh. Uh, 30% uh, being a producer uh, or, you know, a, a, a story editor. And then the last 20% really being a, uh, you know, a, a project manager. And, Absolutely. Uh, but- and <laughs> how much of each of those it is can vary project yes, to project. Yes. Um, I, he, he won't mind me saying this. I checked, but we had a running joke during our recording <laughs> that Dan Slot would call me without fail. Every time we started recording, my phone would ring. And <laughs> literally Dan- Elliot would be like, hold on, I had to take a call. And I'm like, tell Dan I said hi. <laughs> yeah. Well, Every oh time. Because yeah, it is, it, you know, sometimes the job is just listening to somebody tell you the story until they realize exactly the thing they wanted to do. You know, you're Watson to Sherlock Holmes. They just talk yes. until they figure it out and you know um but yes there are definitely you know parts of it that are you know being a psychologist trying to help people get out of their own way and that's also what's so lovely about it that you form these relationships with creators be they you know writers artists letterers that you know can can last you know for a lifetime that coming back 
into editorial this past couple of months has been really interesting that in, in many ways, I'm kind of picking up exactly where I left off with some of those relationships, which has been a real joy. Well, I, you know, I worked with Dan back in the day, so I know what you're talking about. And we're mm-hmm. actually neighbors. I run into him on the street. You know, we live fairly close together. So, um, yes. And, you know, uh, with, uh, Dan, uh, just listening to him tell stories is, <laughs> Like part of the job, you know, yeah. and like, like he, he, it's, it's amazing how his mind works. And, and, you know, that's why I, I guess that's what I mean by a psychologist. You know, it's like with somebody like Dan who just has so, you know, so many ideas. Yep. It's knowing which ones are the ones that are, are the ones that he's really going to be able to ju- jump in on. And that's really for any freelancer. It's really sometimes just channeling what they think they can do into what is really going to hit. I will also say to what you said about the job is not just giving notes. I think an equally important part of the job is knowing when not to give a note. Oh, Knowing yes. when, you know, somebody needs to just go follow their bliss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you would do it slightly differently, you're going to get much better work out of them just, you know, running and chasing the story that they're after. Yeah. And I mean, that that's what I'm saying. It's 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 you know, I it, it really is uh, one of those very unique skill sets. Um, and, uh, it's when it works, it works. It's really great. And, you know, Ellie, you have produced some really great comics. So, um, and you're back editing. What are you working on now? Uh, I am actually back on Superior Spider-Man just uh, in time for well, the 10th anniversary. There you go. Uh, yeah. So everybody's back, including me. And, um, so that's been a lot of fun. And then I am, also working on Spider Boy, uh, a new Carnage series, Deadpool, a bunch of different, a bunch of different things. So it's yeah. been a lot of fun. So, so, um, you know, Spider Boy is a new character and, um, or new-ish, right? He's been around mm-hmm. for like a year or two, I think. And, uh, you know, this is a comic book tradition. It is a tradition of spinning off characters into other characters. And, you know, listen, it's just, it's, it's, you know, we wouldn't have Batgirl, right? We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Spider Woman. We wouldn't have all of these great characters. Yes. Is it corny? Yes, it's corny, but it's also just a tradition. Well, and finding different characters for different audiences, you know, yes. that, yes, you know, finding you know, Sp- Spider Boy is going to speak to a different audience perhaps than some of the, you know, darker superior Spider-Man comic books will, you know, that so, and I think that there is more than enough life in all of these different characters in all of the Marvel universe for there to be something for everybody. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I was talking to some aspiring comics writers and they were asking how to break in. And I said, really, you have to convince an editor that you're someone they like, they want to work with. <laughs> Do you think that's good advice, both of you? Yes, I think that I think that is good advice. I mean, you know, I'll quote the old adage that people always say about breaking into comics that it's, you know, like breaking out of prison. Somebody does it one way and, you know, they close that off and you can't use it again. <laughs> But I do think that, uh, I, I do think that in general, and this is certainly true of my career, even as an editor, every job I've ever gotten, whether it was in comics or elsewhere, I got because there was somebody who wanted me in the room. 
yeah. somebody who, you know, liked working with me. And I think that that is a huge part of it because you can be the most talented person in the world. And if you're difficult to work with, you know, you're going to have a much harder road. And so I think it is finding that perfect balance of, you know, talent and then being great to work with. And then, you know, there, it comes into the luck of figuring out how to get that to somebody's attention. Preeti, what do you think? I think that we're in a good place right now where there are editors who are looking to widen the pool where the talent comes from, which is really nice. So, and this might be specifically if I'm talking to marginalized creators who may be wondering about this question. And what's nice is that there is movement. So be persistent. Yes. I think it's really easy to feel rejection is a really hard thing, especially as a creative person, but just keep going. No matter what, like if people keep saying no, just keep trying, just like treat it like a job hunt. Just keep, keep, keep going. And then there, oh, I'm sorry, go on. uh, I was just going to say from the editor's perspective on that too, there are so many things that could be the reason someone's not hearing back. You know, there is, there is so much on everyone's plate. You know, there just, there, there are so many things that could have nothing to do with you at all. So, you know, I think that Preeti's right about that persistence, but also, you know, oh, keeping in mind that, you know, everybody's got a lot going on and, you know, be, being reasonable about that too. And I, I, yeah, I think people, you know, they often will say to me like, oh, I, I emailed, you know, big name editor at Marvel or DC and, you know, a week ago and they didn't get back to me. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, it's not that they don't want to, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, I will also say about that, that, you know, there's something to be said for not just chasing after the Nicholas and Tom Brevoorts of the world, but also getting to know the assistant editors. You know, there are people that even back when I was an assistant editor who I got a chance to work with, you know, who are, you know, still working now. So I think that you're often going to find, you know, a, a certain amount of, enthusiasm and flexibility in the people who are able to come up together rather than, you know, aiming for the people who already have, you know, thousands of emails in their inbox. Yeah. And I mean, it's also just a matter of, of networking and, and, you know, community, actually just building your Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back to just what Preeti was saying, it's like, you know, there's so many different avenues to get your work out there now. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm on, on Blue Sky and, uh, which is, you know, the Twitter alternative. And for some reason, because it's a lot nicer than Twitter right now, I'm like, oh, there's so many cool artists on there that I never heard of. And I'm just discovering cool artists again and being like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> it's fun to look at these things and discover new people. One more piece of advice. Uh, Marvel actually has a policy that we cannot hire someone who has not previously been published. Uh-huh. So that is something for people to know. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be comics, but, you know, it's it's not enough to have the greatest ideas in the world. You're going to get so much farther proving that you've actually made something, proving that you've actually executed something. And so I think also in terms of people coming up together, there's a lot to be said for 
writers and artists seeking each other out on those platforms and collaborating and, you know, making something that can then show not only that you have amazing talent and amazing ideas, but that you actually sat down and finished something and can potentially hit a deadline. Um, so I think all of those, <laughs> yes. all of those are good things for people to kind of keep in mind as well that sometimes you know, you can do as much networking laterally as yes. you can do reaching up. Um, Preeti, I, I know, you know, coming from fandom, I mean, now there is, you know, the lines between fandom and, I mean, I'm not even going to say protom, but I, I, I mean, just like, you know, fan fiction is so powerful right now. And, and there's, it's, there's so many avenues for that. And, you know, it becomes bestsellers and everything. And I, I mean, aren't there just a lot more opportunities than even just through the lens of fandom now? Do you mean like professional? Yeah, just professional or just to get, to get your message out there, I guess. I think I love fanfic. I think fanfic is immense, like it's an immensely powerful tool, just as like a writing experience. Uh-huh. Um, there are experiments and ways you can use fanfic to make your writing so much stronger. That said, if you are interested in writing professionally in a specific IP, which is a, a character or world that is owned by another company, be a little careful about yes. what you are publishing publicly face like facing for fans to read of that fan fiction. That is a, a legal thing that you have to be a little mm-hmm. wary of. Like I don't read fanfic for projects like for worlds that I'm working in. I don't write fanfic for projects for worlds that I'm working in. Um because it can get very dicey very quickly. That said, if you're writing like Sherlock Holmes fan fiction to like <laughs> you know, get your word out or like, which there is a lot of really good Sherlock Holmes oh, fanfic. Yes. Um, go to town, use it. I think it's really cool. I love, I love fandom a lot. Obviously, I live in that world because there's nothing better in the world than like loving what you love wholeheartedly and exploring the various facets of it. Um, but if you want to be a professional creative, think critically about how you're participating in fandom. In a visible way. Yes, that is very true as well. And that goes back to the be someone that people want to work with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, one way you can participate in fandom is by listening to the <laughs> Women of Marvel podcast. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, uh, again, just debuted a 12 episode season. Is that right? 12 yes. episodes? Yes. That's so. Uh, Ellie and Preeti, thank you so much, uh, for sharing some of your time with us. And, um, you know, listen to, if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to other podcasts. So here's another podcast to check out. So thank you guys so much. Thank, thank you, Heidi. All right. Take care. And until next time, there will be more to come. <laughs>